Well, Hi360 family, thank you once again for joining us online. I'm so grateful for our uh, worship band, for them being so uh, consistent, and our worship pastor, Billy, and uh, his team. I, what a very, very relevant way to start our time together by reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God. In this unprecedented time, uh, God has never, ever moved an inch off of being faithful. And so it's, it's uh, the importance of coming together, recalibrating to that, because maybe you've had a week where you've questioned that. We all do from time to time. Is God really there? Is he, is he paying attention? And the, the assurance that we have together and from the word of God is that God is faithful. God is consistent. God is regular. God is in pace. God is in your bandwidth. And he's very, very faithful. We continue on our uh, journey from here to there as the collection of conversations that we are, are taking on and, and journeying on together. And as we've looked at this, for those of you that are just stepping into this journey with us, this is a, this is a, a collection that we're going to be focusing on movement. Sometimes that movement is a relational movement. Sometimes that, that movement is a, a life change movement. Uh, movement. Sometimes that, that I, I can't even define what that movement is for you because God is going to define that in his very unique and very personal voice to you. As we looked at last week, we, we kicked this journey off with the story of Ruth, and we remember that she moved 70 miles uh, from Moab to Bethlehem, and that was, a, that was a move of risk. She moved from safety to a, to a move of risk. Today, we're going to look at a much longer journey, a journey of many hundreds of miles. This is the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of, the, of my most favorite uh, stories in the Bible. I know that's true for many of you because it is a story of, of not only moving from safety to risk, but something else that is extremely important. So we're going to begin in Nehemiah today. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the backdrop of the story after we read the opening prologue here, the opening moments of the book of Nehemiah. So if you do have your Bible with you already, hope, hope you do, or maybe you've got a device you can follow along with. If you don't, or if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, you can uh, take a deep breath, no problem. We're going to put the, the verses right up on the screen. So let's jump in without any further delay, and uh, we're going to jump right into the, to the story. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, which they believe uh, we know to be about uh, November, December, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now, Nehemiah is writing this. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Okay. This is going to need some explanation if you're not familiar with the Bible. So the story of Nehemiah takes place in, in uh, uh, 900 miles away from where the promised land is. God had the Israelites in the promised land. And because time after time after time, he tried to move them from here to there in their spiritual behavior and their relationship with him and their obedience to him, that finally 
he basically said, and using current language, I'm going to have to put you in timeout. He took them and he moved them 900 miles through under the umbrella of, of the oppression of Babylon. Babylon came in, the armies came in, and they took parts of uh, uh, Israel and the, this southern part called Judah. They took them and they moved the Israelites over to Babylon. Uh, across time, then uh, over time, uh, the, the Babylonians were overcome by the Persians. So a lot of history, it's okay, it doesn't matter if you're not tracking that. So the, 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 there is a remnant that is left here in Judah. Nehemiah is over 900 miles away. There's a brother, his bro brother, we don't know if he's a kinsman or a true brother. He comes, his name is Hanani. He comes over and now Nehemiah is asking him questions. Now, you might think, okay, here are these, here are these Israelites in exile over here in, in Persia now, uh, in Babylon, this Babylonian area uh, ruled by the Persians. They're, they're, they're in this area, 900 miles away. Is this the same story as, the, as uh, Exodus, where we find the Israelites in, in Egypt enslaved? It's not the same story. Let me tell you why. Over in Babylon, Babylon they did not uh, oppress uh, the Jewish people, like the Egyptians, uh, oppressed the Jewish people. In fact, there were some there were some benefit of actually living in Babylon. They they there were this was a political move, not a religious move. So the Babylonians were not anti-Semites. Uh, uh, they were not they were not against the religion of of the Israelites. In fact, they allowed though the scholars of the Torah to be to have great authority even when they lived there. They, in fact, the Babylonians gave the uh, the Israelites their own places to live, their own homes to live. the The language of that day in Babylon was uh, Aramaic. It was very similar to to uh, to Hebrew, which was their native language. So there were a lot of things that that were happening that they became content living there. They had forgotten about the troubles they had when they moved from, from uh, Israel to over to Babylon. They had forgotten that, and they began to establish a life there. In fact, when you look closely and study the book of Nehemiah, and he's writing in first person, he was the cupbearer for the king. Uh, when you look at, at some of the stories, like the book of Daniel, uh, you see that Daniel rose to a political position uh, same thing for, for the, his three comrades. They, they rose to a, a, a political uh, position, and Nehemiah was the same. So we could say that Nehemiah actually had a good life. He, he, there was a, a flourishing market. There was a, they sold a lot of dates, and they, and they uh, made a, a, a lot of uh, money, and they were living well. Well, that's not always the best thing when we're in our spiritual life. You see, the cupbearer was not, he was the guy that tasted the wine before the king drank it in case somebody poisoned it and, you know, tasted the food. And sometimes we think, well, that's what the cupbearer did, and that was kind of a lowly position. Not at all. The cupbearer was actually a confidant to the king. In fact, if you wanted to see the king, often the cupbearer was the, that barrier, that filter. You had to come through the, the cupbearer in order to see the king. Well, as you can imagine, if this guy, the cupbearer, is you know, tasting the food, this cupbearer had to be a, a very trusted individual with high character and high integrity. So you begin to piece together that what was happening over here in Babylon, 900 miles away from the hometown, from the home, home, you know, their home, 900 miles away, that Nehemiah could have said, I've got it pretty good. 
I don't, I don't really even care what's going on over there. I'm, I'm here. I don't care about there. And there's something that happens in this story that Nehemiah begins with interest. See, I think when it comes to relationships, it's so important to be curious. It's so important to inquire. I don't find that a common practice these days all that much to say, to get beyond the, hey, how was your week? How are you doing? How's your, how's your pet dog? And all that. To really begin to dig down deep and to, to ask about. And so when you looked at, the, we looked at that verse, that first verse, one of the brothers came over and he says, hey, I wanted to question them about the Jewish remnant. Those that were left behind because God left a remnant right there and he begins to, to question them. And so this is, this is the answer that we get in uh, Nehemiah chapter uh, 1 and verse 3. Watch this. He asked them, hey, how's the, how are the people left back in the hometown? And they said to me, those who survived the exile, those are the ones that are still there and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, because there was a wall around the city for protection, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have become burned with fire. Now listen, Nehemiah could have said, wow, that's too bad, because look around. I'm in the palace. I got a nice job. I look at my clothes. They're probably wearing pretty, pretty uh, neat clothes, and you know the latest, uh, uh, the latest contemporary uh, attire. And he's man, I've got here. Let me show you my bedroom. It's like amazing. Look at this gigantic bed. He could have, because he was here in contentment, he could have said, "I really don't care about there." I'll, I'll make you. I, I want to uh, draw our attention to the fact that this was not just about the walls of Jerusalem. When you look closely at the story, it begins with those who are in trouble, those who are in a place of need. And something happens in Nehemiah, 900 miles away. Let me put it in context for us that live in Sarasota. 900 miles away would be the equivalent of us driving from Sarasota to Louisville, Kentucky. I looked it up in a map. From here to Louisville, but back in those days, they didn't have a car. They had horses. And so when you look at the, 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 the distance between, it seems so there, seems so far away from here. And there, with the trouble the people were have, seems so distant from, from the contentment that, I was ex, that I'm experiencing. So at this point of the story, we don't know how Nehemiah is going to respond but watch, in verse 4 of Nehemiah 1, we see his response. And this is the key today of our movement. Watch. Nehemiah, writing in first person, says, When I heard these things, that the people were in trouble, I sat down and I wept for some days. For a long time, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. You see, Last week when we were talking about safety and risk, we, we were saying, what is the thing that keeps us here? It was safety, that, that feeling of familiarity that we don't want to move from here to there because of what's keeping us here. See, this is the opposite. What was motivating uh, to Nehemiah was not the contentment, but it's the key to our conversation today. It's angst. In other words, he was bothered by it. 
I'm going to make a proposal to you. We will never do anything great until we're bothered by it. I'm taken by our, our, our church. There's, we are so far above the, the number of, uh, of people in our church that have been willing to take on foster children. You know why? Because it bothers them. It bothers them to have children in, in, in homes that, that are, need mending and homes where per, perhaps there's not a parent or maybe n- no parents and no one to take care of these, child, these children at, the, at, the, at a certain time in their life and maybe forever. I'm taken by, not just by their compassion, but I'm taken so often by that it bothers them. You see, it's so incredible that when we look at this, this uh, story of Nehemiah, that, that as I've said many times, he could have been content and he could have said, I'm just staying here. But it bothered him even in the midst of distance, even in the midst of being very, very comfortable. So watch this. In Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 1, we see that his angst turns into action. Watch. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Antaxerxes, when wine was brought for them, I took, it to the, I took the wine, which, you know, he had to taste it. After he tasted it, I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in the, in the king's presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? In other words, you're not sick for no other reason. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. I, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So here he's in this position. And in this position, he obviously, part of his job was to, remain, to, to maintain his composure He had never been sad. He'd never shown any emotion before the king. And so, obviously, from the story, you can tell that it was a kind of a a big move for him to kind of open up to the king. But obviously, they had some kind of relationship where the king cared enough for Nehemiah and said, hey, I've noticed you're down. He probably, his cheeks were stained by his tears. He could see that he had been crying, he'd been mourning, he'd been fasting. He could see that he was was a a, a bit gaunt, that there was something that was way off his game. Listen. You know, when you're bothered by something, people around you that know you and love you, they'll know about it. See, the challenge maybe is that times we're not bothered enough for anybody to know. If I'm just bothered a little bit, then I'm not going to be caring about people that I can't see 900 miles away, first of all. But second of all, I'm not going to be noticeable. See, our angst, listen, our angst should be noticeable. It's measurable. Like, I see that there's something eating at you. And this was what was taking place. Now, watch what the king asked in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4. The king is now coming to Nehemiah, and he says, The king said to me, What is it that you want? I love that question when he's, when he's looking at these. I love this question that, that, that the king asked. In other words, what's driving your action? What do you want now that you're torn up about this thing, Nehemiah? Now that you've fasted, you've prayed, you've cried, you've, that it's really, there's, a, there's a, a, a tangible, viewable, touchable, noticeable level of angst in your life. 
What is it that you want? See, it's not enough just to be bothered. It's what do you want to do with that thing that's bothering you? I ask you today, as the king asked Nehemiah, what is it that you want? What, is there anything bothering you? Is there anything bothering you that is creating enough angst that, that you could answer this question just like that? What is it that you want? What is bothering you enough that people notice around you? A couple of weeks ago, one of our trainers, our small circle trainers in Nairobi, he called and said, man, we're out of work. We're out of jobs. They're, they're, sometimes they're related to tourism. And, and uh, of course, that's down. And we're out of, we're out of money. We're out of cash. We're, can you help us out? And there's, there, you're overcome. There are people here in our own city. There are people here in our own church. There are people that you don't even know about. There are people that, there may be people that you do know. There may be people that, that God is asking you to be bothered about. Maybe there's a relationship. Let's switch gears off this, this COVID situation. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you can see they need help. Maybe they need, just need a listening ear. Maybe you've said, man, I've so, been so busy, I haven't been able to call them, I haven't been able to reach out. Maybe you would say, God, I'm asking you to bother me about that. Maybe there's something that God is asking you to support, to come underneath. Let me, let me switch gears again. Maybe there's someone that you would say, I, you know, God has done a lot in my life, and I want to pour that out in a discipleship relationship. And, and I'm praying, I hope God bothers you about it. What a strange thing for a pastor to say. But it's okay to be bothered if it turns into action. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4, look what God uh, does. Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 4, he said, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered the king. I love that order, by the way. Before I opened my mouth to the king, I opened my mouth to God. He said, Nehemiah said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild. Listen, he went to the king the king saw he was uptight, he was ang in angst over something, and then he says, I'm so bothered by it that I want to move from here to there. I'm moving out of contentment, and I'm being moved by my angst. It's the last thing someone would want to do if they're content. It's the last thing. Listen, for those of us living in this city, living in this, this, this country, and we love this country, and we love this city, by the way, but maybe one of the greatest enemies, the greatest obstacle for us to move from here to there is contentment. We're swimming in the deep end of it. We're swimming in the deep end of comfort. And sometimes it's hard to even say, God, what do you want me to be uncomfortable about? Because sometimes we can't see it. We want to switch it off. You see, Nehemiah said to the king, I want to leave this amazing job that I have. I want to I leave this amazing uh, house that he probably had, this place to live. I want to leave this place of reputation, and I want to go there. I want to go from here to there. 
900 miles. I'm not sure how long it would take to, 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 to drive from here to Louisville, Kentucky, but I did look it up how many miles, if he were on a horse, which he probably was, how many miles, do you know how long it takes to go 100 miles on a horse? 14 hours. I know this because I've, I've, I've ridden hundreds and thousands of miles on horseback. I'm completely kidding. Of course I haven't. I looked it up. 14 hours for every 100 miles. So when you do the math, 900 miles would have taken 126 hours. If you divide that by, let's say you could ride eight hours a day, which would be still pretty rough, but eight hours a day, that's 16 days on, on horseback in a saddle to get there. You see, if he were just bothered a little bit, I'm going to guess he wouldn't have given up his job. If he were just like, ah, oh, man, that is really bad. You know, because sometimes we, we feel that, like, oh, that's really bad. That's, that's too bad. We feel we have some empathy there, but empathy is not anger. Being, being upset about something a little bit, like, you know, un, uh, disturbed a little bit, that's not enough fuel in the tank for mo for, to, to move from here to there. You see, it has to be something like, ah, oh, man, this is really, really eating on me, enough to leave everything and enough to go on a horse for 16 days to travel through who knows what kind of weather and who knows what kind of terrain to get to somewhere to care enough about somebody else. And this has nothing to do with just the, only just to do with the walls of Jerusalem. It has to do with the people who were in trouble. And so we look at this story, and I'm like, you know what? Nehemiah is, the, is a great model for us of someone who not only cared enough, but was bothered enough. And then I think, you know who the greatest model? Who was bothered more than anybody? Who had a from here to there experience? You know his name? His name is God. Listen, one of the most famous passages in the Bible is John Chapter 3 and verse 16, John 3, 16. Look, it begins this way. For God so loved the world. You know what that means? He loved it so much. He was bothered so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you think Nehemiah's digs were good, you ought to think about what Jesus left behind. That for your sake, he said, he became poor so that you could become rich. You see, we see the model that God was so driven that when you look at this, he's so driven by the angst that the human race that I created is in so much trouble that they can't rescue themselves from the power of sin that I'm so bothered by that, that I love them so much that he took action. You see, God is always the first model. It's like that old cartoon, Popeye. You remember Popeye? Popeye said, that's all I can stands. I can stands it no more. This was the story of Nehemiah. He wept. He prayed. He fasted. And he said, I can't stands it no more. Can I ask you a question? What's bothering you? What's, what is bringing you angst? And if you say to yourself, because there are times I say to myself, man, I'm not being bothered by 
hardly anything, then you might be, at least for me, when I'm in those chapters, in those chapters, we might be drowning in, in the deceit of contentment. Do you mind if I say that again? If nothing is bothering us, we might inadvertently, uh, unaware, being unaware that we're drowning in the deceitfulness of contentment. Does God want us to be happy? Absolutely. Does God want us to have joy? Absolutely. Does God want us to be miserable? Of course not. Does God want us to be bothered? He does. Do you have anybody in your life, if you're a Christ follower, that hasn't experienced the, the depth of peace that's, that, that comes from knowing Christ? The assurance, the confidence that we have that when we reach the end of our life, that, that un, from, from here till there, from, from this point until we take our last breath, that we're not nervous about what happens because of the confidence of following a risen Savior, a King? Does it, do you have friends that are family perhaps that haven't experienced that? If you want a starting block of where to be bothered, man, I'm bothered that they don't know Christ yet. They haven't experienced His forgiveness, the assurance, the confidence, the hope, the peace, all the things that Christ gives to us. That their eternal destiny without Christ is not with God, that it's away from God. That in and of itself should be a great starting place for us to be bothered. So often in our church, we talk about relationships and, and loneliness here in our, in our culture, and, and we, we know that loneliness is an epidemic. It's no different in the, in the church. There are people who are lonely in our church. There, there would be people that would benefit from you stepping into a group. Because we always think, oh, I, I, let's see what I'm going to get out of the group, et cetera. But people in the group need you. Uh, people, in the, people need someone to walk with them in discipleship. People need people. And, and God has created in us this, this ability to come alongside someone. Maybe that would be a prayer. God, bother me about that and, and, and enough to, to move. If we're not bothered enough, we're, we won't move from here to from there. I love uh, heroes in history. I love the, when you look at a Martin Luther, that he was so bothered. He had so much angst in him that people were being deceived and, and, and mistreated because of religion in the name of Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm taken by the movement of people, the missionaries, uh, whether they're in history or they're living right now that are bothered. We have missionaries from our own church. I'm thinking of Chris Lorenz at the 180 house. I'm thinking that, that he was a biology, a biology teacher, living a comfortable life, a comfortable job, a solid job, a secure job. And, but he was bothered enough by kids who didn't know Christ, who didn't have relationships, who needed, who, who go through very difficult times. And he said, I, I, I'm moving. I'm moving from here, this biology job, this biology teaching job. I'm moving from here to there. He, opened, he founded the 180 house in Venice. I'm so proud of him for moving from here to there. I love his ministry, but I like the move. I like the angst. I like that it bothered him. We have a pastor in our church that has a passion to 
to teach the church how to reach out to the LGBTQ community, Jim Childs. I love the movement. I love that it has bothered him so much that he, he loves the community enough to say, we've got to have better conversations. We've got to speak truth and grace at the same time. I love that it has bothered him. So many, I could go down a whole list of people to, that they were bothered enough. Then we look in history, some of the giants, Martin Luther, Wesley, all these guys, the missionaries that, that traveled into places that have never been. Then I think of Martin Luther King Jr. We're going to end today. With, with, with the angst of this man, a, a man who wanted equality for all people as God has created them to have, to have civil rights for blacks, for whites, for, for Asians, for Latinos, to have civil rights, equal rights for all people. He, he not only loved the, the, the people that he stood for, but he was bothered enough to move. Listen to this quote that we end with today. Martin Luther King Jr. said these words, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Man, you wonder how he moved history so much? You want to know why he's a giant in the history books? He's an icon because he had angst, and that angst took him from here to there. That angst would not allow him to stay in contentment. That, that angst moved him and churned him and disturbed him and unsettled him. That's my prayer for you today. I pray you'll be bothered. Isn't that crazy? I pray I'm bothered. God, bother me. What do you want, me to, what do you want to bother me about today? With that in mind, let's bring our hearts, our minds, our wills, our obedience to God in prayer right now. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who sometimes comes and comforts us with that sweet depth of peace. But I'm also thankful, God, for the conviction of the, of the movement of the, of, this, of the Holy Spirit that sometimes necessarily, appropriately, properly needs to unstop to, to unsettle us, to stir us, to nudge us, to disturb us if we're living in a place of contentment. And God, what we're asking today is a dangerous prayer. We're asking, Father, for those that have the courage to utter this prayer from their heart to yours right now, God, I'm open to you bothering me. Maybe some would begin with confession. God, I'm not bothered at all. I think I'm swallowed up in contentment. There's nothing really bothering me right now. Maybe that's a starting place for you. Maybe between you and God right now, you just whisper these two words. Bother me. God, bother me. Bother me. Not bothering me. Maybe some of you are bothered a little bit, but not enough to get on a, a horse and ride 900 miles. Maybe your prayer is three words bother me more. God, bother me more. Maybe some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right now, you're, you're saying to God, Thanks for bothering me. Thank you, God, for bothering me. 
maybe you're listening and you're without Christ today. And I pray that God will unsettle you. Not because he's unkind, but I pray God will unsettle you because you don't know him and he wants to, you to know him. That you'll be unsettled by living a life that, that you're behind the steering wheel, that you're driving. Because see, listen carefully. God has something better for you, something deeper for you, something more meaningful for you. To actually walk this planet as a human being, and even though it may be mind-blowing to you, to have a very real, tangible, personal relationship with the one who created you. You say it's too good to be true. It feels that way. See, God made it tangible. He came. He moved from here to there. He moved from heaven to earth because he was bothered so much by the lack of the ability for you to connect with him because you're imperfect and he's perfect. For that reason, he sent his son. He laid him on a cross and he shed his blood for you. He gave his life for you so that you would reach out in this moment, somewhere in your life, and say, God, thanks for coming here with us. Thanks for moving from heaven to earth. Thanks for being so bothered about this relationship being broken that you've come. Now, Father, I come to you now. I come from, from here to there. I move from my heart from away from you to with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a U-turn. I'm gonna not, I don't want to live the life. I don't want to drive the life I've been driving. So, God, I turn around, and I give myself to you completely. And I'm asking that you forgive all of my brokenness, my mistakes, my sin, through the power of Christ on the cross. And I want to be your child. I'm asking, God, you ignite new life in me right now. Is that your what a, what a perfect time to, to pray and to get to know the God who loves you and who made you. Father, thank you for your disturbing word today. Thank you, God, for unsettling us. God, we don't want to just live a life of calm waters that often become boring. We want to live a life, God, where we're bothered for the things that bother you. So, Father, as we, as we close our time, God, we give ourselves to you openly. You have your way in our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, what a powerful message from Nehemiah today. What a strange message, I think, to ask God to bother us. But that's my prayer for you this week, that as you spend time on this journey asking God, where do you want me to move from here to there? Ask him to bother you. Hey, I want to remind you once again, we're here for you. And we, we are uh, just as bothered about not being together as, as so many of you are. We know that's going to happen, and we pray that it will happen in, in God's timing and perfect timing and all that. But in the meantime, we're here for you. And if you have any questions, please contact us, info at the360church.com. Maybe some of you are... You, you're in need of prayer. Uh, we have people that will pray with you. 
We, will have, we have people that will pray for you if you don't want to pray with anyone. We want you to know that whatever you're going through, as we, as we ended our worship set, God is faithful. And his church is faithful. And you can count on someone praying for you. So there's a, there's a link there that you've been given to pray. And uh, we, we just want to let you know we love you. We're here from you, for you. We encourage you. Hang in there. God is faithful. And uh, ask him, pray, for him, pray to him this week. Hey, God, would you bother me if I'm not bothered enough? All right? God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.